All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son in it. And we pray now that you would speak to us, challenge us, comfort us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we, we toured Europe uh, for our baby moon. You know what a baby moon is? Everyone this morning was like, no. Um, so just before we had our first, we, we uh, headed over to Europe, um, just very briefly, really to see my brother in Germany, but uh, we did stop over in a few cities around the place, which, which meant we only really got to see some of the highlights in each of the cities. And um, when we were in Italy, on the agenda, on the itinerary, was the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Who else has been there? Quick hands? Okay, got a few. I was really surprised, actually, this morning, it was maybe, maybe up to half um, of the people here this morning. Anyway, as far as I could tell, it was sort of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and to be honest, it was a little disappointing. Uh, but like everyone else, we had to take one of those pictures of us trying to hold it up. So here I am, although I'm, I'm pushing it down, aren't I? <laughs> of course, that's, that's why it's leaning. Um, anyway, and, and here it is, here it is sort of just, just sticking out. There it is there. Um, and uh, it leans because it has a faulty foundation. Always has. Um, and the Bible has a lot to say about foundations and what it is that you build your life upon. Uh, Jesus himself uh, talks about it. Uh, he is the rock on which we're to build our lives. Uh, well, here in, in these verses uh, in Peter, Jesus is a stone, the living stone the cornerstone and a stumbling stone. Peter writes, he starts, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accept acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now you can guess why it is that Peter calls Jesus the living stone. Stones aren't normally living, but he is, isn't he? And in rising from the dead, he raises a new house, a new temple. So do you remember when Jesus clears the temple courts and uh, the people ask him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered, Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Remember that? Now, they didn't understand it but at the, at the time. But, of course, Jesus was talking about his body. And as you keep reading the New Testament, you discover that as believers, we become a part of his body. The church. See here, the other thing we learn is that Jesus is not interested in just making a pile of stones. A pile of stones here, a pile of stones there. He's interested in making a building, a house, a temple, a cathedral. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then you are a part of this spiritual house. You are also a holy priest who ministers within it, offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, when I get into discussions with people as to what it is that I do for work, I mean, they generally tend to be pretty short because uh, people tend to cut them pretty short. But anyway, they're trying, to, they're trying to come up with categories in their head as to what it is that I do. And so they often will call me a priest. And I think, I, I sort of, um, I, say, 
I don't, I don't like them calling me a priest because I think uh, it sort of conjures up unhelpful images. Um, but nevertheless, I am. But here's the thing, so are you, right? So are you. We are priests who make spiritual sacrifices. By the way, that's not to say that they're not real sacrifices. Um, in the New Testament, spiritual sacrifices involve giving God our talents and our treasures and our time. Jesus is also the cornerstone. Here Peter quotes Isaiah, say, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious stone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now the cornerstone, um, the most important uh, stone in an ancient building, okay, uh, it was the first stone to be set in the foundation and the stone to which all other stones were aligned. And so as the cornerstone of this spiritual house, of which we are living stones, Jesus is like our plumb line. Uh, a plumb line was uh, a string, effectively, with a weight at the end of it. And it was used uh, to ensure that structures were straight, right? Clearly they didn't use it with Pisa, right? But it was sort of the ancient equivalent of uh, a modern leveller, okay? And so in the Bible, that word plumb line is often used to describe God's standard, which is people consistently fail to meet. But of course, the good news of the gospel is that someone did meet that standard. Jesus did. He did fulfil the law and so now we take our place in God's spiritual house by squaring our lives with his. By squaring our lives with his. And so this stone is precious to us who believe. But to some, this cornerstone will be a stumbling stone. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So while Jesus provides a sta stable foundation for our lives and for the church, at the same time he causes others to stumble. Think of it like this. It is as, it is as, as if uh, God has laid Jesus across the path of humanity and he won't get out of the way. You have to do something with him. And for some, his claims and his commands and his call, they're just going to be too much. They get in the way of their own lives. You and I know some people for whom Jesus has been a stumbling stone. You may even yourself be stumbling over him now in this season of your life. If so, Jesus invites you to come to him, the living stone, and be a part of something bigger and be a part of something better. And to those of us who have come to him, he says this. this is, these are the verses that I started this evening off with. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have a new identity. God has chosen us. He's drawn us to himself to do his work and to speak his words. And tell others of the night and day difference that he has made in your life. 
from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. In other words, we are to proclaim the gospel. And friends, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be war. Not out there initially, but actually in here. So he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So in 1 Peter, we've already discovered that this ain't our home. We're foreigners, we're exiles, and therefore we're not to make ourselves at home. But abstain from sinful desires, or more literally, desires of the flesh. Now we're going to come back to desires of the flesh in 1 Peter chapter 4. But the struggle is real. It's pictured as a war, warfare. And such desires may feel somewhat satisfying and appear relatively harmless, but they are enemies which inflict harm on your souls and make you spiritually weak and spiritually ineffective. So we go to war with our sinful desires to win others to Jesus. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. You know, soon after Peter wrote this letter, it would have been the early 60s of the first century, the Emperor Nero would blame Christians for the great fire of Rome. And he would persecute them mercilessly for sport. He sent many into the arena and set fire to summer's lamps. And they made for such easy targets, Christians, because their beliefs and their values and their allegiances and their priorities were so different. So they were so countercultural. In fact, they were so misunderstood that they were accused of, quote, hating the human race. Now, Christians, we still make for easy targets. And we're still accused of hating the human race. But our lives ought to refute their prejudices and actually win them over. That's Peter's point. Now, that's where our reading stopped this evening, but uh, he goes on. He goes on, and so we're going to go on for a little bit too now. So if you have your Bibles there, it may be worthwhile having it open uh, to 1 Peter uh, 2, um, verse, verses 13 onwards. Because now Peter moves on to tell readers how to live like this in their world. How do we live such good lives that we may refute people's prejudices and win them over? How do we do that? And it's all about relationships. It's all, it's all about the relationships in which we have. Now, I want you to, to notice, uh, before we cover any of these relationships, that Peter neither condones nor condemns the way these relationships worked in that culture. Instead, he addresses the reality. Now, our society is different, but the principles are the same. And the umbrella principle 
is that of submission. Now, that's a bit of a dirty word these days. But here it is. And so here we go. Peter calls us to think of ourselves as foreigners, exiles in our, in our society, but that does not mean that we can disrespect and disobey the authorities who govern it. He goes on, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme uh, authority or to governors, etc. Right? This is, the, this is standard. This is standard New Testament ethics. And it's a general truth. Our inclination, our instinct as believers should be to submit to governing authority. Now, that's something coming from, coming from Peter, isn't it? If you know anything of Peter. Now, in his day, in Peter's day, the authority, the Roman emperor, he was an object of worship. But Peter's clear, isn't he? The emperor isn't God, and so obviously there's a line in the sand. We're slaves of God. We're slaves of righteousness. And so we don't obey when we're commanded to sin, but our posture should be that of submission, knowing that all governments and all authorities are ultimately appointed by and sovereignly controlled by God himself. And so in submitting, we actually, we're actually trusting him. We're trusting him. And once again, we silence those who think that we are a danger to society. And in our context, actually, we are free to, to, to get involved in our government and seek the welfare of our, of our country, of our city. But now Peter moves indoors. How are we to live such good lives among the pagans at home? And so he starts with the relationship between slaves and their masters. Now it's important to note that this dynamic differed from our modern picture of it, right? We often think of perhaps the transatlantic slave trade. It's different, but they were still bound to be mistreated. And Peter writes to them, he says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are, in, who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So just as Christians, uh, Christian citizens are to submit themselves to governing authorities, so Christian slaves are to submit themselves to their masters. Now, once again, their ultimate allegiance is to God, but in reverent fear of him, being conscious of him, they were to submit to their masters even when suffering unjustly. And so their conduct in such situations uh, were to reflect and commend um, the gospel, commend Jesus and the way in which he suffered unjustly. Now, finally, Peter calls also in chapter 3 uh, on wives to submit. And so he says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Now, you are probably aware that these words have been twisted. To condone abuse to condone oppression, that is, that is so far 
from the truth. That is not what Peter is saying here. Once again, wives are called to submit themselves, that is, uh, voluntarily submit to their husbands. And notice that it is submission for the sake of mission, that he too may bring his life under the lordship of Christ. Now, this is radical, actually, because in Greco-Roman society, um, the wives were to follow their husbands into their religion, not, not the other way around. And yet here, that is exactly what Peter is advocating for. And to do so without a word doesn't imply that she never shares the gospel with them, with him, but that once she has, she's not to sort of harass her husband about his unbelief and instead win, win him over by her godly behaviour. Now, I've seen this happen with my own eyes. I've seen it happen. It didn't happen overnight. It took years. But I've seen it happen. There is a beauty and strength to submission that is captivating and can actually lead to a husband being one to Christ. Submission for the sake of mission. Now, the Bible has a lot more to say on submission and what it looks like in a Christian marriage. Um, it's not uh, always black and white, and like marriage can sometimes be really complicated to navigate in reality. I'm not addressing that larger issue this evening because Peter doesn't really address it. But if you're in this position that Peter is describing, where you have a spouse, a, a husband who is an unbeliever, then the message is put on the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and put your hope in God. Now the final word is to, is to husbands. We men are just as responsible for commending Christ in our marriages. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as, as heirs with you of the gracious gifts of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. We husbands should honour our wives because they share exactly the same inheritance as us. Right? And I'll take the warning here. I'm not sure whether you've ever reflected on that warning, um, blokes. Share this um, nothing so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I take it here to mean that a husband who treats his wife inconsiderately or disrespectfully will become unfit, unable to pray. Not to mention that he will likely have very little inclination to pray. And so I think actually, to put it another way, a husband's spiritual health depends largely on the way he treats his wife. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, at the centre of all this is a man named Jesus. He is our example in submission. He's our example in suffering. Right in the middle of these instructions as to how to live such good lives among the pagans, Peter writes this. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, in his steps. Now the word example is used of, uh, elsewhere in, 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 in Greek literature, it's used of, Children, 
who learned to write by tracing over the letters of the alphabet. I love that image. We're to learn to live by tracing over the life of Jesus. And it is all about relationships. They are where we can live out the gospel. They are where we can live such godly lives. And so Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, he's now speaking to us Christians, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, do not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? He has left us this example when it comes to submission. He's left us this example when it comes to suffering, hasn't he? We're to take our cue from him. He's our example. He is like our plumb line. We square our lives with his. And if, if we don't, we end up leaning to one side or the other. And we'll eventually fall. We'll be in danger of falling. So I want to leave you with a, with a question that I want you to reflect on for uh, a minute before, before I lead us in prayer. And that is, what do you need to do to... Align yourself with Christ and his example. What do you need to do um, to align yourself with Christ, our cornerstone, the plumb line, the stone in which we're to, to build our lives upon and around? So I just want you to just reflect quietly on that in your own hearts and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father, I pray that you might show us how it is that we need to align ourselves with Christ, how it is that we must square our lives with his and trace over his life and so learn to, to live such a good life among the world in which we live so that others may be one to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.